Yay! Welcome, everybody, to Emmaus Way. We are gathered here for the first, well, the last Sunday of Easter season and the Sunday before Pentecost and the first Sunday of a summer of discerning together in a lot of ways you're going to hear more about this evening. Um, And to start that off, we have this lovely poem from Mary Oliver that's starting us into tonight's conversation about waiting. Sometimes there's only a hint, a possibility. What's magical sometimes has deeper roots than reason. I hope everyone knows that. I sat on the bench waiting for something, an angel perhaps, or dancers with the legs of goats. No, I didn't see either, but only, I think, because I didn't stay long enough. So thank you for staying long enough for us to get started and get through this poem. And welcome. And Rody, are you going to do, you want to do Skittle prayers right up front? Is that? Sure. All right, come on up and lead us in some Skittle praying. Yes. Yeah, I mean, just downstairs, we'll do it Yeah, Yes. Okay, our last time doing Skittle prayers down here. If you would like to continue doing Skittle prayers, adults are welcome to come upstairs any Sunday and do Skittle prayers with us. Um, so yeah, grab some Skittles. And if you have not gotten to do Skittle Prayers with us before, Skittle Prayers are one of the ways that the kids uh, pray each week upstairs. And it is a way to help us remember to pray for lots of different types of things. And we all like to trade our color Skittles at the end. So it works out well. Are there enough? Okay, great. All right, who would like to give me an idea for what a red Skittle could be? What do you think, Tash? Say that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for like shelter and stuff, that's great. And staying warm. Well, I think we're gonna, we'll definitely be staying warm with the weather right now, for sure. All right, what about our orange Skittle? What do you think, Aiden? Light? Fabulous, love it. What about yellow? What do you think, Dash? Everyone around us, that's perfect. I love it. What about green? Earth. Earth. I love it. Thanks, Asa. And what about purple? Purple. Call it out. What do you, what do you think? Space. Space. Okay. Yeah. And Aiden, do you agree with that? Yes? Great. Fabulous. All right. Let's all pray together. You might have to help me remember what, we're, what each color is, but we'll see. Gracious God, I'm grateful for this time and this space and all those who fill it. As we consider our red Skittle, help us to uh, give thanks for our shelter and this space that we get to inhabit together. Amen. You can eat your red Skittle. Lord, as we consider our orange Skittle, was that light, Aiden? Light? Help us to uh, consider those things that we need to hold in your light and things that, uh, that you reveal to us in your light. Amen. Lord, on our yellow Skittle, help us to think about those around us and how we can be um, good neighbors to them. 
You can eat your yellow Skittle. Lord, on our green Skittle, help us to consider the earth and ways that we can be better stewards of it. You can eat your green Skittle. And Lord, as we consider our purple Skittle, help us to remember all of those spaces that we go in and out of each week. Uh, And I think probably in the spirit of how it was intended, the cosmic space. And help us to uh, remember that we are, we are people who are inhabiting this space together tonight. Amen. You can eat your purple Skittle. All right, kids, we're going to go on outside. Well, that has been a lovely way to pray all through Easter. And we'll find other ways to pray in the summer. Less tasty, less caloric, most likely. Uh, I think we have like a number of different announcements. I know at least the Baines have three. So, you know, if you want to add some to just round that out a little bit, then, you know, I'm sure they'd appreciate that. Um, but yeah, why don't you just go ahead and get us started with some announcements. Yeah, so um, the first was just to follow up on an email sent out about the Vulnerable Families Fund. I announced this last week, but those who weren't here. Um, this is a fund um, established in the wake of ice raids that mostly happened in February, but it occurred throughout the spring. And in preparation for what um, probably several coming in the next couple months. Um, of families who have lost primary breadwinners in their family and for, for that reason cannot afford rent or, or have to stay away from work for maybe a couple weeks um, as ICE is heavily in the area. So this is called the Vulnerable Families Fund. It's being administrated by Church World Service. And uh, in that email, I put a link to them, but if you aren't on the social, um, just go to Church World Service Durham. Give, and then at the bottom there's a little box that says Vulnerable Families Fund. Um, and I'd be happy to answer any other questions about that. And then the second announcement was about a listening session that we have coming up in two weeks uh, on June 10th um, at Zach and Janelle Hutchison's house of the album Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet. So this is a practice we've done throughout the years here of listening to full albums. Um, just kind of uh, thinking about them and what they have to say to our life together, and so we'll be reviewing that uh, in two weeks on June 10th. Third and on June 15th, it's a Saturday from noon to 6, we'll be here um, having a work day. We welcome anyone and everyone that can come. Um, there's a variety of projects for whatever your cleaning ability is. Um, there's like some major projects like cleaning the chairs have 15 years of history on them, um, floors and other things. So um, you can see me if you need more details for Molly. Um, oh yes, and please bring your uh, your cleaning tools of choice and whatever uh, cleaning supplies you like to use most. Yeah, I just want you to sit and imagine what history exists in the chair beneath you. What has God done that is still there? (laughs) Yeah, exciting.
What else is going on? We have a new, um, if you all do not receive the social, but um, Alana and Aaron Hope have their second mm. child um, on Tuesday, Ellington Simone. Um, there is a meal train sign up happening for them, the Hopes. If you aren't on the social or need that link again, let me know. I'm happy to share it. Um, so we just really want to love on them and care for them by bringing them meals during the season. So go sign up. Oh, yeah. August is a happy big brother. So, so far. So far. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle. Yes. So uh, last, so yesterday, day before yesterday was the last day of the fiscal year. Um, so I just wanted to bring you all the news about um, contributions that we collect at the end of the year. Uh, just to remind you, like two or three weeks ago at Ecclesia, we were kind of thinking we would probably end up somewhere around 110000 and our budget is 117750 um, We are looking at closing out the year at $115,790. So... That is awesome news. Um, lead team is really excited. We're sort of processing and, and asking what that means for the budget that we brought to you all um, a few weeks ago, which was targeting $110,000 for next year, and had some, you know, we made some hard choices about how to rearrange our spending around that. So um, more to come on that, but I uh, just wanted to share that news with you. Thank you to everybody who, uh, gave and has supported the Mayus Way for, for years and continues to do so. Um, Lee team and staff are really grateful for that partnership. So um, that's it. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me. I've got numbers and all that good stuff. So. Common question. When did you last cut your hair? Uh, today. There we go. So We're on a cycle. We're doing the same cycle now. That's good. Ah, uh, see. So there's mm -hmm. definitely like some slightly longer. I sussed out a story there, and I just wanted to get it on the podcast, and you know, so <laughs> good. I was just like, uh, all right, well, come on, all right. Okay, that's enough hair jokes. Um, anything else announcement-wise going on? That's a number of things coming up this month, and exciting budget news. Anything else that somebody wants to say? This is happening, and you should know about it. Okay. Well, in, in that case, I'll invite up Adam, who we're glad to have back, and Mona, who we're also glad to have back. Um, and yeah, they've got a great set of songs that are taking us into sort of a theme of around waiting, going into next week of Pentecost, but also thinking about maybe expectations that we've had for this community as we look to talking about how we're a Mayus Way together, things that it feels like are on the horizon for our community or maybe have felt unrealized and what, yeah, what does it mean to name and sit in a space of waiting? So thanks for taking us there, Adam and Mona. As always, I'm grateful to be with you all. Um, singing songs that I love. And this song uh, was written without a distinct melody. It's mostly just talking but it's hard to do just a talking song with two people. So we wrote a melody, but uh, it's been different every time we've rehearsed it. That's my fault. 
So uh, lend your voice. See if you can track along too. We're going to be trying to find it. Just waiting to sing The old cow standing by the boulder and sign Just waiting for the grass to turn green The barflies waiting for an easy mark And the hitchhikers waiting for a ride The lifetimers waiting for a prison break And the beachcombers waiting for the tide The farmer's daughter is waiting for The salesman to take her into town City sitters waiting for the country boy to lay all his money down. You know, everything comes to stand still, ain't nothing seem to make a turn. The worm must be waiting for the early bird, I guess the early bird's waiting on the worm. Nobody wants to do nothing, just waiting to get a finger in the pie. Waiting for a call from the big quiz show Or waiting on some uncle to die And Katie, she's waiting at the garden gate Again, we're still waiting for the snow And Jack's still waiting on Jill Told you we're finding it Everybody's waiting for something But nothing seems to turn out right Cause the night shift's waiting for morning And the burglar's just waiting all night The congregation's waiting for the preacher The preacher's just waiting for the groom The groom's just waiting for the June bride And the bride's just waiting for June The sunflower's waiting for the sunshine The violet's just waiting for the dew The bee's just waiting for honey And honey, I'm waiting Honey, I'm waiting for you. Well, I've been going through the motions. Wonder if anyone can see that I've been looking for. Something have you been looking for me? Well, I ain't the same no more. In fact, I have changed from before. Oh, you ain't gonna find me. Cause I'm not who I used to be. I used to be a little girl Just a smiling, feeling free I wasn't worried about nobody Nobody worried about me I ain't the same no more you find I have changed
much Adam and Mona. Um, we are talking about waiting tonight. And I don't know about you, but I really hate waiting. I hate to wait. Um, maybe it's a good thing that we're talking about waiting then, because even though I don't really like it, it's definitely a part of our life and our world. 
Um, so we're going to dive into that conversation after we pass the piece. But there are some snacks in the back, so help yourself to snacks, water, or coffee, and pass the peace of Christ with one another to someone you don't know or someone you haven't seen in a while. And we will get back here pretty quickly. So quick passing of the peace. All right, um, if everyone would kind of find their way back to the middle, um, and we're just going to kick it off with a few questions. So when's a time in your life you've been waiting? Just throw it out there. When's a time in your life, recently or a long time ago, that you've been waiting? Being in jail. Being in jail, yeah, a lot of waiting, yeah. I remember um, whenever my uncle was in prison and how he said he never knew how long a minute was until he was incarcerated. Others, when's a time in your life when you've been waiting? What were you waiting for? What are you waiting for if you're still waiting? Being in labor. Being in labor, yeah. I hear it's quite the wait. Yeah. I think of Brandon recently, kind of in the wait around tenure, not to call you out, but like, I feel like I was waiting, you know, like, I don't know that you and Nydia felt it much more acutely, but yeah, kind of waiting for news. Yeah. What are you waiting for as it kind of pertains to Emmaus Way? What do you feel like you're waiting for as it pertains to this community, the people gathered? I'll just say that having, long before I was on staff at Emmaus Way, being in any way involved in this center sort of like leadership or conversation about Emmaus Way has been a conversation about waiting, right? Mm-hmm. Start as a start. I came to the start of church, so it's always getting ready to be something. What would it be? Like, what would be coming together? And so I think that conversation has just always felt like a huge part of the narrative that we're telling each other. what we were about to become, or what was next, or what might be. Um, yeah. So, do you feel like you're waiting to live into what we are? Yeah. In some ways? Others. Yeah. Where you, do you find yourself waiting in this community? I didn't realize I was waiting for this, but when I saw that the uh, information about the work day, mm-hmm. I, I actually felt kind of excited about that. And I realized that mm-hmm. I feel part of a community, part of that is, is working together. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really done a lot of that. You know, just nuts and bolts work. Yeah. And um, so I think I've been waiting for that. Yeah. And thank you for illustrating that. <laughs> Thanks to Nidia. Thanks for that joy. Yeah, waiting to work together. One or two more. What are you waiting for as it pertains to this community? kind of like it goes in a negative direction, but I, don't, I feel like I'm always waiting for the next family to move. 
Yeah, right? Because it's a really transient community. And so even as people come in, people are leaving. And it's really hard. Yeah, and sad. Yeah, thanks for that, Amanda. We are a community, yeah. Very much a community in transition in lots of ways. And so waiting for people to come, but also waiting for people to leave. Thanks. In our waiting, I think there's often a deep longing, right? Longing for a child in labor, or longing for job security, longing for freedom, a longing to have your people close by. And the disciples and friends of Jesus gathered after the resurrection knew the complexities and the longing of waiting. And Jesus, in today's text, which we aren't going to read because I'm about to summarize it really quickly, um, the beginning of Acts tells, tells those gathered to wait yet again. He tells them to wait in the place for the promise of God. It's not many days from now the Spirit is coming, I promise you, but I order you, stay in place and wait. He's telling the disciples, not quite yet, y'all, not quite yet. And so they wait, longingly. And those gathered in today's text knew how to wait, and they knew what they were waiting for. They were waiting for liberation. They were waiting for the kingdom Jesus, Jesus spoke of and healed, right? To show what the kingdom of God really was and really could be. They were waiting for a spirit that they had been promised to continue to be about the transformation of an empire flipped on its head. But this waiting in Acts 1 at the very beginning, instructed by the resurrected Christ, this longing stirred up isn't necessarily as cut and dry, but really is in part a question of how can faith and a faith so interwoven and connected to an empire be found in the waiting? How can faith in and being told to believe in a God, a divine spirit, be found when these people had been waiting and longing under the weight of the Roman Empire for so long, a life under an empire that threatened them with assimilation and transformation in negative ways that would weaken their identity and really make them doubt their religious sensibilities. And quite frankly, for us, how can faith be found today amidst the empire, amidst the waiting? How can we keep on waiting and longing when the weight of oppressive systems like capitalism, 
student debt that doesn't seem to go away, a police state in which we find ourselves, this emphasis on the individual and nuclear family that somehow stirs up more and more isolation continues to press in on us. How can we have faith in the waiting when our earth is quite literally crying out because of the destruction? When the empires keep releasing freedom fuel into the air? And when the status quo of most institutions in which we find ourselves just keep pressing in on us and we want things to change but we're just too tired to make a way out of no way in the midst of this long waiting. For you, how has the empire, how have these forces outside of ourselves stunted our waiting, your waiting, and therefore really your faith that you even think there might be a spirit still at work in the world? I think I would say it's, it's hard to be bored anymore. Right? Like our society makes it very easy to always occupy ourselves. And I think in being bored, I realize that for which I'm dreaming and that for which I'm waiting. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to just distract myself with the next thing. Right? And that, that can also blind me then to injustices that I should be fighting against or things that I should be going and doing, right? Yeah. yeah. But without really the space to reflect or think about the waiting in which we find ourselves, that then stunts our imagination and hope and dreams. Thanks for that, Caleb. Others. How have these forces, the empire, stunted our waiting and therefore our faith and our hope in the work of the Spirit? I think our expectations have been lowered. Our expectations have been lowered. Say more. Yeah. So it's like when, I mean, it's just like content dissonance. So anything that's really, really bad, just expand your range of what you find acceptable because mm-hmm. bad things continue to expand mm-hmm. your range mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think our range has been kind of shifted skewed yeah. to the left or yeah. i feel like i spend a lot of a lot of time when i'm reading the news these days it feels like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop mm-hmm. for just like something really bad to happen. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like two years ago, you know, if somebody had told us all the things that were going to happen between then and now, like, we would have said, oh, that's really bad. But yeah. now, just to your point, mm-hmm. about expanding your range of what's acceptable or what, what's possible. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so you get preoccupied by sort of waiting for the bad thing to happen, and it sucks up a lot of energy and is a distraction, you know, to, to Caleb's point about creating the space in your mind and the energy in your week to do good, be at work, where mm-hmm. God is working or where God is calling us to work. Thanks, Kyle. So what's, 
Whenever I hear that, and I think that's totally true, kind of I find that what's pent up inside of me in this waiting, right, and this stifled waiting of empire and hope, and as I wait on the spirit to continue to move, is I have such deep anxiety within me, right? Like, it's like, how can, like, how can, can I really turn on the news or get on Twitter or social media or become so bombarded with all of the things um, that I find I have this pent up anxiety in the waiting and then that anxiety isn't really allowing me the space to hope or dream and imagine and to, as Marie talked about last week, right? Like practice resurrection in the here and now. But what's pent up inside of you all as we wait Right? Jesus is telling us to wait on the divine spirit to come at Pentecost. So what's been up inside of you as you wait on the spirit, as you struggle in faith, as you struggle watching the news, experiencing your life? What anxieties, angers, skepticisms, or exhaustion is pin up inside of you? I feel like I'm like losing the ability to recognize when a thing that maybe I've been waiting for has or has not arrived. I think that like the kind of the instant gratification and Amazon Prime has made it so that like um, I like I like we no longer like punctuate our life with the arrival of the thing that we've been waiting for. And so like as pertains to the world of climate change in which I work, like I think like it's like it, it really it, it seems like it's it's there. Mm-hmm. Like actually like the oceans have risen mm-hmm. and we've just forgotten to like to claim that and to acknowledge like like I don't know, maybe maybe humans are just bad um, in, in general, like we're pretty bad at at, at kind of long term waiting and, and acknowledgement, but I feel like right now I feel like I'm, I'm losing the ability to understand mm-hmm. when everything is changing, when mm-hmm. it's actually changed, when that thing is. Yeah, has happened. Has happened. To really see it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for It's almost like, do you feel in some ways, yeah, whenever we're so bombarded or things, yeah, are happening like this. How can you really notice when something has changed? And I think that, especially for sort of world changing or events of global importance or political importance, or whatever. No matter what happens, there's always another side, mm-hmm. and the like, media, in some ways, has been very good at surfacing. Uh, or people have been very become very good at manipulating media to surface these sort of counter arguments that sound really logical and and so unless you unless you put in the, the work and the time to understand and really know how you feel for yourself, there are tons of issues where you could probably encounter very logical sounding arguments and and on both sides and it's, it just feels confusing like what's going on there's just too much complexity because we have just that much more information to process and manage ourselves and how would yeah luke and kyle and anyone else would you say this 
instant gratification, bombardment. Caleb says, right, lack of space to be bored on a world, right, kind of national world level. How then has that affected the particularities in which you wait in your family or at Emmaus Way or the ability to see or want change and hope and possibility and imagination? Or do you, are you able to sort of compartmentalize and you're able to see the change in your own life or in, within your nuclear family or within Emmaus Way, but you just can't on a global scale? Does that make, like how has it affected, yeah, just your personhood? Anyone can answer that, kind of in this, these complex times in which we wait. Like the waiting for things to get better, <laughs> always just give me this like, deep numbness and uh, it's permeated everything. Like I can't make long-term plans at home. Every day I'm like, okay, well, let's just see what happens today. You know, instead of like, oh, what are we gonna do you know, in two weeks or let's plan vacation or whatever it is that you might want to do with your family. Let's plan, you know, I have kids and I want to give them rich experiences. And it feels mm-hmm. like the waiting has <clears throat> eroded my ability to in any way make those long-term plans. It's just what's happening in this moment. Um, so I feel like in the larger world, it's overwhelming enough that it's taking it down to the sort of micro level too. You can just deal with like this five minutes and then I'll do the best of all times. Thanks, Clinton. I feel that, yeah. Anybody else? How has it affected your day-to-day living? I think I'm increasingly suspicious of meaningful experiences mm-hmm. uh, in my personal life or family life or in my community life that when something that seems good or feels good does seem to happen, I'm very quick to have a kind of creeping nihilism or melancholy that kind of creeps over it. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, cool, like this is nice for this three, four minutes, but mm-hmm. like, uh, it's going to be really stressful and really hard to deal with, or I'm going to feel really numb again really mm-hmm. soon. Uh, yeah, and that's been... Uh, I wanted to say it's been rough, but it doesn't feel like much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feels numb. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. <coughs> Any others? In the rooms of recovery, we're, uh, we're taught not to live in the past in the regret mm-hmm. and not to live in the future in the fear, mm-hmm. but to really be present in the here and the now. Yeah. And, and I think that sometimes I, like I can, I'm experiencing waiting and I'm not experiencing impatience now. I'm experiencing worry and fear about what it's going to be, mm-hmm. what's it actually going to look like. That for me, it's a healthy practice to just kind of like take a step back from that mm-hmm. and live in, in the now and the here and kind of let go of that fear. Mm-hmm. Trust that if I do the next right thing, that my higher power is going to keep me on a, a healthy path for my life. Even though I might not know what that is per se. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but sometimes, you know, instead of focusing on, on the, the way fear that comes with it to focus on, well, what can I do today? What can I do today? 
Thanks for that, David. I really love um, Dr. Willie Jennings' commentary on Acts. It's a remarkable commentary on Acts. You should just buy it to read it. Um, and I think what I love is how Jennings throughout, right? And this is a theological commentary on Acts. But throughout, he says, Jesus standing in front of the disciples and telling them to wait was really Jesus saying, wait and lean into the revolution and long for the revolution that has already begun. It's, it's a waiting with agency. Because for Jennings, right, and I think for those who proclaim Christ, that the revolution isn't merely an idea or a project or a memory, but it's embodied in flesh and blood, right, on the other side of the resurrection, standing in front of the disciples that is being born in that particular day and in that particular time but is being reborn again and again and again. And the spirit that the disciples are told to wait on that will come and has been promised to them and has been promised to us will continue to facilitate and be about that revolution in the here and now, in the day today, even when we are so numb, we are so overwhelmed, we are so consumed, we can't even see the change happening in front of us. It reminds me of a writer, David White. Of what does it mean to be a people who are waiting, waiting and longing and already leaning into a revolution that seems, quite frankly, so far away? But it's really an invitation each day to move from a known but abstracted elsewhere to a beautiful, about to be reached, someone, something, some possibility that we want to claim and call our own. But as we've all said, right, even in the waiting, even when we know, right, a lot of us have, not all of us, but a lot of us have grown up in the church and we are good church people and we have heard Right? We know the story of Jesus and the kingdom breaking in and the kingdom continue to break in. But it's really, really hard to be told in text and to be told by a world that seems to keep telling us to wait and seems to keep pointing to us that things are just really crummy and horrible and horrendous. that in that space, we're still told to wait with longing for what is and for what is to come. But how do we do that when many of us feel overwhelmed, exhausted, consumed, numb? What are we to do when we know we are to wait cognitively, right? We know we're to wait and long for the spirit, the advocate, the helper, a divine fiery presence to show up in the here and now, to come alongside and usher in the complete liberation of a revolution. 
And yet it's so easy to wait in desperation. It's so easy to wait in desperation. But what happens if we can wait and lean into the longing and the reality that the revolution is still going on? As I was thinking about waiting, I could not shake, if y'all were here last week, the image that Marie used of her neighbor, who whenever Marie was talking, right, what does it mean to be a resurrected people? What are practices that mean to be about the resurrection? And she talks about her neighbor, who after a long day driving the school bus, sits in a lawn chair in the middle of their street in East Durham, so that the children of that street on Hart Street may play and not be run over. As Marie told us last week, no matter that the way of the world is that whatever is large and armored and fast and expensive and fueled and needing to be somewhere drives over and rams into what and who it chooses, no matter that my neighbor and we who now stand beside her are bones breakable, flesh terrible, lights extinguishable, our darting, uncalculating children all the more fragile, I see a dare here, a joyful buck of the status quo. The simple action says, I will rest my feet. I will savor my playing children. I will thrust our bodies into a place where our bodies have been deemed inappropriate. Mary's, Marie's neighbor waits longingly, defiantly, for a different way, for a different world. Marie's neighbor, as she sits, waits for a spirit to upturn the empire, but she's not going to sit passively until that happens. And I'm curious, even in the midst of our numbness and exhaustion and anxiety and the perils of this world, as we wait longingly for a spirit that, if I'm being honest, sometimes seems farther away now than it ever has, as we wait, where are the spaces that we as a community we as Emmaus Way need to place our own lawn chairs and defiantly sit. Where is the space we need to defiantly sit in our lawn chairs together or spaces hoping for the Spirit to show up? And as we sit, and as we wait, where are you hoping the Spirit shows up? The same Spirit promised to the disciples and to us. For yourself, for this immediate community, for Durham, can keep taking it further out.
Well, I think Durham can in some ways where we can finally sit and wait with a larger community. Yeah. And I think that one of the important things for me is that we are waiting in community. I am here in community waiting. It's a lot easier when you have other people who are waiting with you than when you're all by yourself. Yeah. Um, so. Thanks, Gail. Mm. Waiting with. Totally. 
I myself too, right? Like there's a lot of like skepticism and I find, right, whenever I'm numbing, right, in the numbness of the world and in the numbness of life, it becomes easier and easier to find the, this notion of a divine spirit at work, right? process, right, theology, a God ever-present, ever-creating, ever-redeeming, to be so far away. And yet I'm finding, maybe it's just me, but the weight of the world seems far too overwhelming for me to think that, like, my actions alone can save myself, or my, or my friends, or this community, or gun violence in Durham, or climate change, and that's not, and I think, I think what I want to push us on this summer is I think that we, a perception I have in being here four years, and I've done it too, right? I think that we think, right, it's either, it's either what we are doing, right? Faith, like, what are we doing? How are we acting? Where are we being about justice? Or, we're going to believe in a divine spirit that's going to come and intercede and fix everything and change the whole world. And I think that this is a false dichotomy of either or. And I don't, and I don't think that that's saying that like just because I believe that that's a false dichotomy that those gathered have to believe that it is. But for myself, I did not need to believe in a divine spirit at work until I got sick and realized doctors can't save this body. I can't save this body. We didn't need a divine spirit at work until Soren Williams was near death this time last year. But I do think that there are spaces where all we can ask and wait for is a spirit to show up and show us the way. And it probably is showing up and poofing, right? And we don't even see it. And so it's true. The Emmaus Way text is much more Emmaus Way. It's where we get our name, right? But I also... I don't know. Jesus still showed up, right? It wasn't just two guys without God present. And I don't, I do think, right, the writer of Acts and most of the New Testament, everybody was way wrong, right, on like second coming, all that stuff, like, whoo, way off. Um, but what does it mean to wait and pay attention to Jesus showing up on the road or a Pentecost spirit coming down where people who couldn't understand one another finally do? And what does it mean for us, who I think a lot of us perhaps have shame and even like claiming that we still might think part of this story is true? because of how horrendous Christianity writ large has been and is, right? And that's really, really true. 
But what does it mean to be like, well, I'm feeling pretty numb and I'm completely overwhelmed and I can't make long-term plans because the world seems far too horrible. And it feels like everything I do and every action I do just isn't enough. What might happen if we wait and are open to being surprised? The same Jesus who met those disciples on the road to Emmaus might show up here and wake us up a bit. I don't know. Maybe it's all a bunch of like, maybe it's not true too, right? I think that's a risk you take. Um, But I don't know. I feel like I don't have a lot to stake uh, hope or justice or imagination on. For me, without this notion that as we break bread, the Spirit is going to show up and will reveal God's self. And maybe that'll change us. Maybe it won't. Come back and be a part and see, right, what we create and foster together. With that, Adam and Mona, come on. Had to find some higher ground Had some fear to get around And you can't say what you don't know And later on won't work no more and Last time through I hid my tracks So well I could not get back and Yeah, my way was hard to find can sell your soul for peace of mind Square one, my slate is clear Rest your head on me, my dear It took a world of trouble Took a world of tears Took a long time To get back here Tried so hard to stand alone Struggled to see past my nose Always had more dogs than bones And I could never wear those clothes And it's a dark victory You won and you are so lost And told us you were satisfied But it never came across Square one, my slate is clear Rest your head on me, my dear Took a world of trouble Took a world of tears Took a long time To get back here Square one, my slate is clear Rest your head on me, my dear It took a world of trouble Took a world of tears Took a long time To get back here
One of the things that we're doing this summer is um, we're having different people speak about ways that we've experienced or received absolution in this way. And I'm glad I get you first so I can set the bar really low. Um, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, and Molly asked me to say something, so I was thinking about this afternoon. You know, one of the confessions that I have is right in line with what we're talking about here today. Um, you know, I feel like I want to withdraw. I feel like I want to just pull away when the waiting is hard. And, you know, I want to pay attention to sports or what's going on with my kids or what's going on with my job. And, you know, it's just easy to focus on that because those are things that I can, that I can deal with. Um, and I feel like the main way, the absolution that the main way it's given me is, is continuing to pull me back, you know, continue to pull me back to things that God cares about. Um, and I wanted to read a, a quote from a Mark Williams song that I actually have. I downloaded it, and I listen to it all the time. But um, it's his song, All Else Had Failed. And he says, um, this is just part of it, but it's talking about like that idea of withdrawing um, and, and not that that not be a good idea. He says, when the taxes are due, the babies are crying. With the most powerful men in the world, they are lying. If we jump in our ships and push off and set sail to a world that has never been reached by the gale, in that world, we'll never be able to tell that love had succeeded when all else had failed. And that is really, you know, poignant, powerful thing to be. Um, it's sort of indicative of how I feel like the church keeps pulling me back to what God's doing in the world and encouraging me to wait for it, encouraging me to continue to struggle for it. I think about like the religious coalition. David and I were just talking about this before church, but you know, it's, it's, they're doing some really neat things, you know, the sort of justice stuff that you're doing. I went to a thing with Ben, just a, a vigil or a, you know, annual meeting, and, and it was just really powerful. And I didn't walk out of there feeling like I had accomplished one thing. I'd done nothing. There was not less violence in Durham because I was there, but I felt like it was a place where God was. And I was there too, and it just, it was beautiful, even though it was terrible. And, uh, you know, we're doing some really, really powerful stuff. You know, the confession and absolution that we do every week, to me, is very important. It pulls me back in and shows me kind of the ways that I have fallen short or come up short, the ways that we as a group or we as a country, you know, whatever it is that we're talking about that we. Um, and then the absolution from that, you know, we've got God's forgiveness, we've got God's love, we've got God's grace. That is... I mean, that is vital to me, keeping who I am. Um, and then the communion, when we all come together and, and I get to talk to each of you. I mean, I feel like from knowing each of you, I'm, I'm definitely a different person from knowing each of you. And I'm a much better person from knowing each of you and your stories and what you're doing. And that is just tremendously encouraging to me. So those are some things that I thought about. I was reminded tonight, actually, uh, by Molly's dialogue that my first night here was about a year ago, and the first song I sang here was an absolution song, and it was this song we're about to sing, and it was the night that we were praying for Soren. Um, yeah, and that, that night changed the way I think of and sing this song. Uh, yeah.
God of the dead, God of the dead, God of the breathing again, God of the earth, God of the grave, God of the rising and the Open your mouth, open your mouth, open your mouth and breathe on your name. God of the falling, God of the flood, God of the bleeding and the blood. Hold up the wretched, lower the proud, lead us with your fire and your cloud. Open your mouth, open your mouth, open your mouth and breathe on your name. your mouth, in your mouth, open your mouth and breathe out your name. Thanks, Adam. Mona, all of you. I just want to, it feels good, it feels like a right thing to name that this uh, couplet from Tom Petty, it took a world of trouble, it took a world of tears, it took a long time to get back here. Listening to you tonight, I wonder how many of us feel that we could apply that to like any given moment of a lot of days and a lot of weeks. What it is to get back up the next day, to find ourselves on another Sunday, another Monday, another Friday. I just want to, like, I hear that. That hurts. That hurts. To find yourself in that space. And also... Here we are at this table. This is a community that's never apologized. We apologize for a lot of things. We've never apologized for this table. Um, because if it's mattered to me and to you and to you and to the folks that are no longer here that we have gathered with at this table, uh, if there's something about this practice or this way of being community or the fact that God's alongside us in this space, if there's something about that Emmaus Way story and God's showing up and a surprising, sneaking up on us while we're eating together, if that isn't us, if that isn't what our imagination for God showing up in this community looks like, then it becomes hard to say what it is for us. So, if, when we found ourselves waiting, 
people longing for revolution, people whose faith in God at work has been stunted and beat down by an empire, people who out of hope are just plain habit, keep showing up here or to work or to your everyday life or to the people you love the most in a broken down world hoping for some glimpse of a better way. We've done that sort of waiting around this table. We have put our lawn chairs down here. And so as we get into the summer of what I hope is a continuation of the kind of honest wrestling we're opening tonight about how we, me, and you, and you, and you feel called to be church together in this time and place, to name where we've been waiting and longing for some new spirit, to recommit ourselves to simple, specific actions in that direction. Where else will we do that but this table? And so as we're doing that tonight, as we're heading into that summer, I wonder if we might just come with some eyes and hearts attuned to all the waiting that is meeting you here, that is gathering here. People who are hurting, people who are too numb to hurt anymore. I think you're going to be met tonight by some folks who've been waiting a long, long time. Folks who've forgotten how to wait, people who've cast some small piece of their hope on this community in whatever small way. And inside of that, I think we have people whose love has helped build this community, but find themselves just going through the motions of a community life that may, ain't the same anymore. I think there's folks for whom Emmaus Way never quite lived up to the burning questions they brought to it a long time ago. I think there are probably folks who barely made it here and are just waiting to see if this is a place that can hold them too. I think there's folks who've discovered a vision of faith and God here very recently that they never could have imagined. I think there are little people waiting to see what kind of church, what church people, what church has to offer I think there are folks who have anchored our most desperate needs on this community and folks whose most desperate needs feel distant and abstract from this community and who we are together. I think everything in between is true. I think some of us are too distracted. I think some of us are too tired to lay that much expectation here. And I invite you to come tonight as someone in waiting to a people in waiting. And I want to leave us with three things. I was listening to this really beautiful panel, Interfaith People of Color up at the Haytai um, Heritage Center yesterday, and one of the, one of the speakers brought up this um, Zulu greeting, which I've heard rendered before, but not in this way. I've heard it rendered as, I see you, suwapona. But she narrated as, we see you. All the broken pieces that built me, every person that hurt me, every inspiring person that made me, every last voice that made me who I am, a multitude, sees you. What is that? And then the response is, I, we are here. And so I wonder if we can go into this table tonight and this summer tonight, or this, <laughs> this summer, saying, coming here and saying, we see you. I see what you're bringing here. And then have the boldness to show up and say, we are here for whatever it is that you brought.
And then I wonder if we can do it one more thing and say, is there a God who could be here enough, who could see the we in us enough that it would feel like a vibrant way of reforming and forming us together? I think these are things to hold tonight. I think there's a lot that we can hold together, and I think this table can hold it. We've never apologized for expecting that this table can do that sort of work. So that's what I invite you to tonight, and that's what I invite you to this summer. I think we're people that need people to wait with, and there are some people here to wait with you. Welcome to the table.